Welcome to the Abiding Marriage Podcast. I'm Sean Salberg. And I'm Glenn Salberg, her husband. You know, we are so glad you could join us on today's episode. You know, as we record this today, we're still a few weeks away from celebrating Easter this coming April. And while a lot of the world, their Easter celebrations revolve around Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies, you know, as Christ followers, we got to be careful not to get caught up in all the secondary things of Easter. Because really what we want to do is make every effort to keep the primary thing of Easter the main thing. And as followers of Christ, we believe that the core truth of Easter, what Christ followers call the gospel, can and should be impacting our marriages every single day. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, how in the world is Easter supposed to impact (laughs) my marriage? Well, that's what we will answer for you today as we talk about this important topic on today's episode. So please stay with us for more. And as always, thanks for joining us on this journey of marriage. Easter approaches, we as Christ followers really should take time to dwell on the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. You know, the message of Easter really is the core message of what we call the gospel. But we want to make sure that you and your spouse understand what we mean when we say the gospel, even if you've been around the things of church for a long time. So so please don't miss this. You know, the gospel is explained in a number of places in the New Testament, But the way Paul shares it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 6, is a great summary. So here's what it says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You know, the gospel is the message of forgiveness for our sins, and that's through the finished work of Jesus Christ, his son, through, through again through that life, death, burial, and resurrection. You know, just think of it as God's rescue plan that he's offering every person. Yes, the gospel tells us that we are all separated from God by our sin and that the only way to be reconciled to God is through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And we want both you and your spouse to experience salvation through faith in Christ and to truly know him, not just have knowledge about him, but to truly have a personal relationship with him. You know, and if you and your spouse want to know more about the gospel and God's rescue plan for all humanity, you know, there's two possible next steps we would suggest. Uh, one would be to go to a special page on our website that will share more about the gospel. 
and we'll have a link to that in our show notes. Or you can go back and listen to our Abiding Marriage podcast number three. And on that podcast, we talked about the gospel and what we call the most essential connection in marriage. We, we believe a big challenge for many Christians today, however, is that they think of the gospel only in terms of their initial salvation. Right. And as a vital as vital as it is for us to be reconciled to God, right, and, and, and to have salvation, we must be careful not to think of the gospel only in terms of our initial salvation, mm-hmm. because really it's so much more than that. Yeah. You know, in many places in the New Testament, we read about our ongoing need for the gospel in our everyday lives of following Christ. So let's look back at the first two verses we read earlier from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. So did you hear what Paul shared? He's writing to followers of Christ in Corinth, and he says that they have received and they have taken their stand on the gospel that he preached to them. So this lets us know that they have already trusted in Jesus for their salvation. So if that's true, then why does he say, I want to remind you of the gospel? That, that seems to indicate to me that there, there must be some kind of ongoing need to stand firm in the truth of the gospel. The reality of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. This is not saying that we need to be saved over and over again. Salvation is taken care of mm-hmm. once by Jesus, right? But the gospel is ongoing in our lives. And in case this is the first time you're hearing about an ongoing need for the gospel, here's another place where Paul helps us see this need. It's in Colossians 1, verses 19 through 23. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. You know, the words that that we would sort of highlight from that passage would be when Paul exhorted the Colossians to be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So again, Paul's words are indicating a need in every Christ follower to have the power of the gospel at work in their lives every day, Mm -hmm. not just the day of their initial salvation. You know, a few years back, a mentor of mine introduced me to a book called The Gospel Primer. It's written by a guy named Milton Vincent. And that book, through, through both scripture and sharing by the author, brought me to the realization of my need for the gospel every day as I follow Christ. Uh, we'll, we'll share a link to the book in our show notes, but, but here's one excerpt from that book that I want to share with you. 
Here's what it says. The New Testament teaches that Christians are to hear the gospel as much as non-Christians do. In fact, in the first chapter of Romans, the apostle Paul tells believers in the church that he was anxious to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Well, of course he was anxious to preach the gospel to non-Christians in Rome, yet he specifically states that he is eager to preach it to the Christians as well. To the Corinthian Christians who had already believed and been saved by the gospel, Paul says, I made known to you the gospel which you have believed. He then restates the historical facts of the gospel before showing them how those gospel facts apply to their beliefs about the afterlife. You know, and this is actually Paul's approach to various other issues throughout the book of 1 Corinthians as well. And Vincent goes on to say, in most of Paul's letters to churches, sizable portions of them are given over to rehearsing gospel truth. For example, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 is all Absolutely. gospel, yep, yep. as is Colossians chapters 1 through 2 and Romans chapters 1 through 11. Re-preaching the gospel and then showing how it applied to life was Paul's choice method for ministering to believers. You know, we believe this is a very strong affirmation Mm -hmm. for you believing the gospel for your initial salvation, but then allowing the truth and the power of the gospel to impact your everyday life and, of course, your marriage. Years back, we, uh, we met a couple that introduced us to a book entitled Love That Last. It was by authors Gary and Betsy Rakuchi. And in that book, Betsy and Gary share nine gospel applications straight from the scripture that they believe should impact our marriage. And what we want to do for the remaining time in this episode is to take a few of those gospel applications and to help you think of practical ways to live them out in your marriage on a daily basis. And those of you who want to read more, we'll share links in our show notes to two things a post from Desiring God that lays out all nine of the Rikuchi's gospel applications. But also, uh, we're going to share their three posts from our Abiding Marriage blog on those non-gospel applications as well. And so the scripture connected with their first gospel application is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the application that they said was because of the gospel, Christians have become new creations. Therefore, in our marriage, our past does not define us, confine us, or determine our future. Yeah, I love that. I love that so. You know, the Bible tells us here in 2 Corinthians and other places that when we are reconciled to God through Jesus, that we become new from the inside out. You know, if we believe that's true, and of course we do, then mm-hmm. then here's the follow-up question. How is that truth that you are new in Christ revealing itself in your everyday life as well as in your marriage? For example, do you see yourself growing, becoming more like Jesus, maybe more patient, Uh, Would your spouse or others in your life see that your patience is growing over time? Or another example might be in humility. 
Do you see yourself growing in humility to be more like Christ in the way you treat others or the way you respond to others? And again, would your spouse or other people say that you are growing in this? How about our old self, the person that we were before we came into a personal relationship with Jesus? Are you allowing things from your past to define you or things that have happened in the past in your marriage to define you? You know, here's, a, here's an example from my own life. You know, as a man, I've struggled with anger issues for most of my life. You know, well, I, I like to say the old Glenn was frequently angry and sinned against my wife with my impatience and my harshness, as well as other people in my life. You know, and while I'm thankful for the progress that God's given me over time, and I'm certainly thankful for my wife's patience and encouragement in that transformation progress, you know, I, I'm still a work in progress. But, you know, it's so freeing to know that the old Glenn, the frequently angry Glenn, we'll call him right, is not who I am. That sin does not define me, right? I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit empowers me not to be quick to anger and to be more understanding and gentle instead of impatient and harsh. I I may still sin at times in this way, but sin is no longer controlling me as it did before I knew Christ. So I must daily understand and give control over to the power of the gospel, the power of God at work inside me so that I can respond in godly ways that are, that are supernatural rather than in my own ways, which are natural or yes. fleshly. <laughs> and I think we all need to remember to surrender to the Holy Spirit to lead us daily because otherwise we will respond out of our own flesh. And that usually, usually doesn't, doesn't go well. <laughs> it does not work <laughs> <Yes>. out. <laughs> Uh, but getting back to the idea of things from our past defining or confining us, um, let's be clear that things from your past or from past events in your marriage, they can and they do shape of and course. influence you. Sure. But they do not define you. You know, your identity in Christ is who you are. You are beloved. You are forgiven. You are redeemed and adopted. As a husband or a wife, ask the Lord to help you daily walk in the truth that you are a new creation and you are not Mm. defined or confined by past events or even your present circumstances. And in addition, ask the Lord to help you see your spouse as he sees them Mm. and Mm -hmm. for you to be the instrument of grace and help in their life of following Christ. You know, as an action point, you know, spend some time individually and honestly evaluating where you are with being a new man or a new woman in Christ. You know, then ask your spouse and ask some other people who know you well to honestly give you their viewpoint Mm -hmm. on on where you are, right? Try not to get defensive. Mm -hmm. Try to listen to their feedback, right? Giving thanks for the ways that you've grown, but also asking God to help you continue to grow. Because that's, that's really the goal for us to become more Christ-like over time. Yeah. So now let's go to the next scripture connected with the second gospel application, which will be in Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 8. It says, In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. So because of the gospel, we are forgiven. 
Therefore, we can live free of all guilt and condemnation Mm. for every sin. And we can trust that God Mm. in his mercy will Mm. be gracious to us. Mm. In James 3, we're told that we all stumble in many ways. That's a pretty humbling verse. Yes, because we all do (laughs) mess up. (laughs) You know, it's the honest truth, and it's often hard to admit to others. But as Christ followers, our right response to messing up is to humble ourselves and to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with God and then with others. You know, and even though that's the right response, uh, there's there's a common response to messing up uh, that's different than that, and that's to run to guilt and shame, right? We tend to withdraw knowing that we've messed up, and sometimes we feel like God and others are not pleased with us. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the truth is that guilt and shame lead us to places that hinder our walk with God and our relationship with our spouse. And, and, you know, God does not want you to live in guilt and shame. He's never ashamed of his adopted sons and daughters. Let me say that again. He's never ashamed of his adopted sons and daughters. Right. And the gospel even tells us that you can live free of guilt and shame. The passage we just read in Ephesians 1 tells you that Christ has given you the forgiveness of sins. And as Christ followers, when we mess up in sin, we must learn to more and more consistently follow God's path for us. That is the path of Mm. humility, of confession of sin, Mm. and the seeking of forgiveness. In 1 John 1, 9, the word says that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to Mm. cleanse us from all Mm. unrighteousness. So we like to say, after messing up, fess up. (laughs) Fess up, that's right, yes. You know, confess what you've done to God and then to the person as well. And do so in humility so that it is truly a sincere confession. You know, as an example, if you and your spouse would visit with us for a few weeks in our home, you would likely hear one of us at some point confessing a wrong that we had done to one another. Or you might hear us a few times yes. <laughs> confessing <laughs> a wrong. Especially if you're with us for a few weeks. <laughs> you know, the reason we do that is because we want to be quick to restore mm-hmm. any distance in our relationship that the hurts caused. You know, and this is God's path forward so that we can stay free of guilt and shame keeping short accounts with God and with others, especially with our spouse, by freely and sincerely confessing what we've done to one another. So the action points we have for this second application would be for you as a husband or wife to acknowledge the things that you've done wrong to the Lord and to your spouse. And then trust God that He truly forgives you and He will empower you to walk in freedom and not in guilt and shame. And then finally, if you sense that your spouse is living with guilt or shame, Mm. pray for them and ask the Lord for a chance to talk with them about this, not in a condemning way, but in a way that will bring grace um, that comes from the gospel Mm. to their life and in your marriage. Yes, yeah. You know, and one more thing to share about this is, you know, as we talk about guilt and shame, We'd be doing you a really a disservice if we didn't at least had mentioned this truth, you know, that Satan tries to use guilt and shame in a life of Christ followers like my wife mm-hmm. and I and you and your spouse, you know, to keep you 
from walking in the freedom that comes with repentance and confession the way that God's designed it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why it's so vital for you and your spouse to grow in trusting God and following the process of repentance and confession in your marriage. You really can't walk in the freedom that God has for you unless you follow His path. And that path leads you away from guilt and shame and into walking into who you are, your identity in Christ. And while we don't have time on this episode to share more on this, we are sharing a link in our show notes to a really helpful article from Desiring God Ministries. That article talks about a number of ways that Satan tries to hinder our relationship with the Lord. So we hope you'll take some time to check that out. Now, the next scripture connected with the author's third gospel application will be Romans 6, 6 through 7, and then verse 14. It says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free Mm, from the power of sin. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, Hmm. you live under the freedom of God's grace. The application says, because of the gospel, sin's ruling power over us is broken. Therefore, we can truly obey all that God calls us to do in our marriage, regardless of any circumstance or situation. You know, one of my mentors taught me early in my biblical counseling training what he called rights versus responsibilities. And his idea of rights versus responsibility really lines up well with the gospel, this gospel application, right? Which exhorts us to obey God in our marriage, regardless of circumstance or situation. So here's an example of what Glenn means related to rights versus responsibilities. So when we read the verses in Ephesians 5 that tell a husband to love his wife and for a wife to respect her husband, we can get our focus in the wrong place. Yes. yes. So let's say the wife is really desiring to grow in respecting her husband, but he's not seemingly showing any real actions of love toward her. So it is going to be tempting for her to say, well, I'll begin respecting Mm. him when he starts Mm. loving me. And although this is tempting, it is still wrong. The wife really needs to keep her focus on living out her responsibility, which is to respect her husband, rather than focusing on her right, which is to be loved by her husband. You know, of course, the reverse of this is true. You know, for a husband, rather than refusing to love his wife until she shows respect for him, A husband is called to keep his focus on his responsibility, which is to love his wife and really surrender his right to be respected to the Lord. You know, and and how can we do this? We can only do this again in the power of the gospel that's at work in us. You know, on the cross, Jesus was praying for those who were responsible for his crucifixion. You know, that's grace. Mm -hmm. When you're praying for the people who are murdering you, that's grace, right? And that's the power we have living in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can empower you to love when you're not getting respect or to respect when you're not getting love. And when you do this, really, you are showing Christ-centered grace. 
to your spouse. And that kind of grace can bring real change in a relationship. You know, mm-hmm. over the years, we've seen this happen over and over as we see one spouse extending that kind of grace to the other and the change that God does through that transforming grace. Right. Um, but it is important for us to point out um, in the example that we gave regarding love and respect between a husband and a wife, this does not mean that you have to ignore it and not ever talk mm. about it with your right. spouse. Right. Um, you do want to share that you're not feeling loved or you're feeling a lack of respect. We're just saying that you need to stay primarily focused mm. on what God's called you to do. He's empowered you to do your part. So let's keep your focus on what's God, what God's called you to do right. and not what he's called your spouse to do. Yeah. Pray for your spouse in that area Absolutely. and humbly <laughs> go to them. Yes, yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know, let, now let's look back at some of the phrases from the, the verses in Romans 6 that we read just, or my wife just read a couple minutes ago. Uh, a couple of those phrases are, sin might lose its power in our lives, we are no longer slaves to sin. And here's the other phrase, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live, or you live under the freedom of God's grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are truths from Scripture about us as Christ followers, and they are core truths of the gospel as well. So let's walk fully Mm. in all God has commanded us to do as husbands and wives, because sin has no power over us, and the Holy Spirit's power enables us to obey Him day in and day out. You preach it, girl. I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as an action point from this gospel application, we suggest taking some time alone with God, maybe prayer, prayer, similar to Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, or some other similar verse, that really that that, that verse asks you, um, ask God to really show you your heart, right? To show you what it is you need to work on. You know, as you do this, ask Him to reveal any ways that you're holding back something that He has called you to do in your role as a husband or a wife. Then confess that to the Lord and ask Him by a Spirit to really empower you Again, to focus on your responsibility that he's called you to and keep your focus primarily there. You know, when you do this, it's the starting point for transformation in your marriage relationship. So, so again, remember, work on doing your part and pray for the Lord to help your spouse do their part. Mm-hmm. Now, the final scripture is connected with the author's fourth gospel application, and it's found in Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit 
to fill our hearts with his love. The application says, because of the gospel, we have hope. Amen. Therefore, we can endure any marital difficulty, hardship, or suffering with the assurance that God is working all to our greatest good. Mm, yeah, so good. You know, you know, having hope is critical as we follow Christ and as we grow in our marriage relationships. Uh, but, but let's make sure that we're on the same page about what hope is and really what it's not. You know, one online dictionary that I looked up defined hope as a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. But, but I'd say Christ-centered hope is so much more than a feeling, mm-hmm. right? It, it's so much more than just wishful thinking, right? The word hope in the New Testament really means a confident expectation of what is sure, a confident expectation of what is sure. Mm-hmm. That's what New Testament hope is. Right. So why do we, as Christ followers, have hope? Well, Romans 5, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So these verses show us several answers to that why question. First, We live in hope because we have peace. The peace that was purchased for us by Jesus' blood and his sacrifice. We who were once his enemies Mm. are now his adopted kids. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. But then the verse goes on to say that in addition to peace, we have also obtained access to God's grace. This incredible grace not only radically changes our relationship with God, but it should also Mm. change our relationship Mm. with others, especially with our spouse. And finally, we live in hope because of the fruit that is produced by God in us as we cooperate with Him in the hardships and challenges of life. The fruit of endurance, the persevering in our circumstances because of our confidence that God is at work even when we don't see it or even sense his work, because all we're looking at it is through our physical senses. But God does things supernaturally for us and is at work even when we can't see it or feel it. Mm, Yeah, sure. So, you know, an action point coming out of this gospel application um, is that, you know, now that we understand what hope is in biblical terms, what does that mean for our individual lives and what does that mean for our marriage? Well, a few things that you might ponder, you know, number one is God's peace, that peace that goes beyond our understanding. Is that peace really at work in you as a husband or wife? Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, are you experiencing the peace of God that helps you stay anchored to Him, even in the midst of your trouble? And and are you as a couple anchored in understanding and walking in that peace? 
And how about is the grace of God that he so freely gives to you at work in the difficult relationships in your life? Can you think of a time recently when you experienced the grace of God from your spouse or another person? Can you recall a time recently when you gave out some grace to your spouse, not expecting Mm. anything in return? Mm. Mm. We need God's grace at work in our marriages because without it, it's going to be impossible to live out a Christ-centered marriage as husband and wife. Mm. And we talked about peace. We talked about grace. And now let's talk about perseverance. Uh, Do you see that confident expectation of that you have in God helping you persevere in the challenges you're facing in marriage. As I share this, I'm thinking back to time in my own life regarding a difficult relationship with a family member. It was so tempting to give up after years of trying over and over to make that relationship better. But I continue to ask the Holy Spirit to fill me with perseverance, to continue to believe that God is at work in me and in that other family member, despite the fact that there seems to be no outward change in our relationship. And I also thank the Lord that He perseveres with me. I, I pray that you will also ask for and walk in that perseverance that you can have because of our confident hope in God, that the one who created us and the one who saved us. Mm-hmm. So husband and wife, the next time you're facing marital difficulties, focus on God's hope in you and how that can change your point of view. And the way that you walk into those difficulties as well. You know, God has not left you alone in marital challenges, but he's empowered you with his hope, with his peace, and with his grace. Amen. I'm so thankful. You know, our desire is that the Holy Spirit would use this podcast and our blog post to help you really see how critical it is to allow the power of the gospel to be at work in your individual life as well as in your marriage. So we want to wrap up this podcast by sharing a quote from Tim Keller, because he sums it up really well. It is one thing to understand the gospel, but it is quite another to experience the gospel Mm. in such a way that it fundamentally changes us and becomes the source of our identity and security. It is one thing to grasp the essence of the gospel but it is quite another to think out its implications for all of life. Mm. We all struggle to explore the mysteries of the gospel on a regular basis, but we should strive to immerse ourselves in it and allow its message to influence our life daily. Let me pray as we, uh, we wrap up. Lord, just love that, that last phrase uh, Tim Keller talked about that really just talks about the need to immerse ourselves in the gospel and allow the gospel message to influence our lives daily, Lord. So I just pray for for every husband and wife listening uh, that the gospel would be, obviously, for their initial salvation, Lord, they would move from death to life, that they would understand the need for the death, burial, and resurrection of the Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. But then after that, Lord, that they would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would walk in the power of the gospel that, that changes us and transforms us over time. The Lord, help the husband listening today to do that. Help the wife listening today to do that, Lord, all empowered by your Spirit. And thank you, Lord, uh, that we don't have to live in guilt and shame 
but we can live in the freedom that comes from the gospel. In the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. amen. Amen. We are so grateful for you joining us today on the Abiding Marriage Podcast, and we are so thankful for you. Our hope is to help as many couples as we can. Mm, Yes. We want you to grow and thrive in your relationship with each other and with the Lord. So thank you for being here. Yes. And for sharing this with others that you know. And hope you'll come back for another episode. God bless y'all. Bye.